Hi, and welcome to the Speech Uncensored podcast. This week, I'm pleased to have two guests for my interview, and we are talking about inclusive language, about dismantling assumptions, and diving in deep into transgender and non-binary interactions, and how we as speech and language providers can create an atmosphere that is welcoming, where people feel understood and confident that they will be known as who they really are. So I really enjoyed the guidance and the direction that Wes and Finn provided this episode, and I really enjoyed this conversation. So I can't wait to share it with y'all. We can learn together again. All right. So without further ado, did I already say this is the Speech Uncensored podcast? Gosh, I've already forgotten. Okay, so this is the Speech Uncensored podcast. I'm Leanne. I'm your host. And now we're going to dive into our topic and meet our guests. Well, welcome, Finn and Wes. I'm so glad to have you both on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Yay. Thanks for having us. So glad to be here. Oh, good, good. Okay, so I just want to jump right into it and learn a little bit more about each of you. I want you to tell me who you are, where you are, and what you do. And let's start off with you, Finn. Hi, everyone. I'm Finn. My pronouns are he, him. I am a trans masculine or a man of trans experience. I'm an educator in Seattle, Washington. I teach kindergarten. Before I was teaching kindergarten, I was teaching pre-K. So pre-K to first grade is where my heart is. But I've taught in so many different capacities. I've taught in juvenile court school. I've taught in community college. I've taught in before and after care. So I feel like my education experience really branches out. I'm also a poet. And I usually, not in the last two years, but I usually have an annual workshop where we do meditation and generative poetry writing. And let's see, is there anything else? Oh, I'm a new dad. I think that's the last thing I want to tell you. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been very, it's been such a growth period to be a new dad during a pandemic. (laughs) I would imagine. (laughs) I would imagine. I feel like you know all the big pieces of my identity right now. Uh, Yeah. I'll let you introduce yourself now. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Wes. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, So I am a speech-language pathologist based in Portland, Oregon. And for the first five years of my career, I worked in early childhood education. And then this past year, I've transitioned to a private community-based pediatric practice. I guess I would say that the lens that I'm always trying to approach my SLP work through is quality of life. And that is something that I carry with me in the work that we're going to be talking about today that Finn and I do with Q Inclusion. So Finn and I are co-founders of Q Inclusion, and our mission with that is to collaborate with individuals and communities to create safe, inclusive, and connected spaces for people of all gender identities and expressions, right? We're both men of trans experience, and so our vision is that workplaces, schools, healthcare settings, family units, and really all organizations and communities have the tools and foundation to support a high quality of life for queer and trans folks. And we are doing this through workshops, strategic planning, consulting, mentorship services. Um, And then beyond work, outside of work, let's see, I have the most wonderful partner. I am a dog dad. I really enjoy going on hikes. I got to hop on my bike yesterday for the first time since COVID, and that felt really good. And I just, 
Oh, I've been spending a lot of time recently nesting in my new home. Ooh, how do you nest? Like, are you a reader? Do you get like a really comfy sofa corner? Like, what's your nesting situation? I need to know more. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So that sounds lovely. I think the current stage that we're at is just making it feel like our space. So we've been spending a ton of time painting every single room and just like getting things in place to be able to then lounge around and get super cozy. I see. Okay. So yeah, I'm thinking of nesting in like a total different way. Like you're like making the home your own and I'm like not moving from a single spot nesting. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. Okay. So now did I hear correctly that you both live in different states? Okay, so tell me how you two decided to form this collaboration and then how you make it run when you live in different cities, different states, different zip codes. So I think I I wanted to add about the piece about myself, too, is that so, you know, at the heart of Wes's work as a speech language pathologist is to bring quality of life. And at the heart of my work as an educator is very similar, but I would call it liberation. So like it's about being whole and being liberated from the things that keep you from being whole. Even when you're little, I think that's why I love four and five-year-olds is because they teach us what wholeness looks like. Anyway, so what happened is Wes and I are best friends. It's very funny. For the first year of QN, we were saying we're partners and then everyone was like, it's so cool that you're romantic partners and you're business partners. And we always were like, okay, we need to clarify that we're business partners. But it seems like that because there's such a love and kinship between us because we're best friends. And because we're best friends for the last decade of us being in education, we've been talking about things that happen in the classroom that are either uplifting or harmful for gender diverse kids and how more and more people were leaning on us for questions, you know? And then one night we were like, maybe we should just do this as a job, you know, because we are spending so much time processing together and Mm -hmm. making plans together. Maybe we should use that labor for a good cause. Wes really started doing the trainings and then he was like, do you want to get in on this? Am I missing anything? No, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. So best friends turned business partners. And the last, because we really got going when it was the pandemic, we've been doing all of our trainings virtually, which I'm really surprised have been very moving still mm-hmm. of people learning how how to take care of the gender diverse people in their lives, whatever capacity mm. that is. I know when we were communicating by email in preparation for this episode, you mentioned, you know, the when you do some presentations or you're coming together to talk about these topics with other people, like the the best learning and the best experiences have come out of the Q&A time. Like when, when people can like marinate in what you've just gone over and then ask questions, you know, like take from their minds what they don't understand, what they're beginning to understand and like kind of unpack that. So I'm wondering if you can share like how the Q&A sections have maybe impacted how you approach the the teaching and learning experience i wonder i know i'm springing this on you guys i'm really sorry yeah, it's totally fine i think the way that our trainings have naturally flowed is that we weave in 
the information that you need, like the foundational terminology that you need, and then also personal hard mm. work. I think the thing that Wes and I really bring to DEI work is giving people permission to be where they are at, at the journey. And so there's a lot of trust building that we do in two hours. By the time we get to the Q&A, people feel safe enough to be mm-hmm. a learner. You know? But the thing that, that really strikes me about what you said, like how does the Q&A sort of inform your work now, <laughs> is that it's, it's made us really lean into, even it's always been part of our values, but now we're really leaning into practice of like being collaborators instead of experts. Because oftentimes... There are people who have wisdom and knowledge in that community already. They just haven't had the platform to share. Like one of the questions I found so intriguing was from a preschool educator and she was working with parents who don't speak English as their first language. They have another native language. And she was saying, these people come from all over the world and there might be like a cultural difference around how we see and talk about gender, you know? And then, so Wes and I were sort of like marinating with that and like thinking, how are we going to answer this? And then somebody else just like jumped in and was like, you know, I really feel like that's an implicit bias. You know, I'm a person of color. My family's from the Middle East and I'm non-binary and it's not an issue. And I was like, yeah. So it made me want to listen more and ask, like, do we have any wisdom here already? Oh, I love that. Yes, that like really resonates. And I think that type of lesson is so applicable to anyone who's getting up in front of a group of people and sharing information. We really take it for granted, like you mentioned, that the expertise and the experience that's sitting in that audience. And we're short-sighted right. if we don't invite that to inform everything, you know, that we're going to talk about and learn. So that's really fun. I'm really excited for that because that like reinforces something that I was thinking and kind of wondering as well. So I'm like, ooh, that's cool. Okay, so we've gone off topic like three times already. (laughs) Are we ready (laughs) to dive into what we gathered here to talk about today? And I believe we're gonna begin at the beginning as we typically do on this podcast and lay the foundational terms and definitions so that when we talk about certain things, we are on the same page about what those things mean. Yes, absolutely. So when we're thinking about being inclusive of trans and non-binary patients, the first thing that we really need to understand is what even, what does that mean? Who are trans and non-binary people? And what is gender identity? So I want to first explain gender identity and then get into trans and non-binary. So gender identity is this really deep internal sense of being a woman, a man, both, neither, or another gender completely. And every single person has a gender identity. And the thing that lots of people are still learning is that a person's gender identity is not necessarily visible to others just by looking at them or just based on anatomy. So for people who are new to this concept, that notion that gender identity is not necessarily visible can feel challenging, maybe confusing. And it's because of this binary, the this or that structure that we've previously been taught. 
But we really need to be careful not to confuse gender identity, right? Our deep knowing and our internal sense of who we are with the gender or the sex that someone is assigned at birth based on anatomy. And once we understand that gender identity is internal and is not dependent on body parts or chromosomes, we can then better understand transgender and non-binary people. So to be transgender is someone whose gender identity is different from the gender that they were assigned at birth. And someone who is non-binary is someone whose experience of gender is not exclusively woman or man, the this or that. This could mean that their gender is both woman and man, in between woman and man, neither woman or man, or totally independent of those two binary genders. And then I also think it's really important for you to know what it means to be cisgender or cis. So a cis person is someone whose gender identity is the same as the gender that they were assigned at birth. And it's so important for cis people to know that they're cis because it can help minimize the othering of gender expansive and gender diverse folks by just acknowledging and recognizing that we all have a gender identity, regardless of whether we are trans, non-binary, cis, or another gender. And I also wanna say it's important to know that you're cis because our world, including our healthcare system, is built with cisgender people in mind. Mm -hmm. So that means there is a privilege that comes with being cis that often goes unnoticed. And it is a critical piece in order to understand how to be inclusive of trans and non-binary patients. Okay, that was kind of a lot of terms. Um, We don't want to bombard you with too many terms right now. But if other things come up throughout our conversation, we're more than happy to define them along the way. Okay, so... I want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the the terms that you outlined for us. So for somebody who is like non-binary, because I think something you pointed out was that person's gender identity isn't always reflective and maybe their appearance and, and how they're presenting to the world. And that's important to recognize So if somebody is like non-binary, they may appear to uh, be closely identified with one gender, but to assign them that and maybe use those pronouns would be a disservice to who they are. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Okay. And then that's a little bit different, as you mentioned, um, from transgender individuals who are closely aligned with a gender and and wish to make their presentation congruent. Direct me. Help me. (laughs) It's a very good question. We can't put words in for the way people identify. Your gender identity is is your relationship to your gender within yourself. You are the only person in charge of your gender identity. However, there is aspects of relationship because all of us have, (laughs) we have preconceived notions around gender. So even though you're have, it's a felt sense inside of you, you're also in relationship and a part of that is your gender expression. Now we know trans masculine people, trans feminine people who want to shift away totally from having to align your gender expression with your gender identity, you know? So 
they will not do that. This is all to say you can't know and you have to listen to how a person identifies and pay attention, right? And it's kind of interesting because I feel like the first thing that cisgender folks think about is the is people who have a playful or expansive gender expression, you know? Like you might not know, but people don't know about me. You know, I'm very binary expressing with my beard and my short hair. Um, but when I get to the doctor's office, you you can't see my identity at first glance. So it goes both ways between someone who has a more binary expression and who has a more expansive expression. You don't know, so you have to really listen. Yeah. Yeah, and, and take care around that identity first. Put in put in the forefront of of inclusive practices mm-hmm. first. Okay. Yeah, and you know, just to add on to that, like I think it can be really easy to think, okay, we have trans, non-binary, cis. And so it can be really easy to to say, okay, we have this non-binary category. That means that trans and cis people must be binary, Mm -hmm. but it's much more nuanced than that. And so there are trans people who identify with binary gender identities, and there are trans people who, who do not identify with binary identities, but still are trans and identify as such. So it's, (laughs) it's not an easy answer, but that kind of gets at just the the complexities and layers of gender that aren't usually talked about. Can I add one more thing? It sounds really complex when we're trying to articulate the pieces, but the way we experience it as human beings is actually not that complex. So the reason why Wes and I really try to point out that it's important for cisgender people to look at their gender identity is that they actually realize that there's a lot of nuance in their relationship to their gender identity, right? Like, There are different ways that we relate to femininity and masculinity and how we navigate toxic masculinity and such, right? And so someone, she can be really stretchy, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's the same for trans people because we're human. Like we all have a different relationship to how we're navigating our gender identity. Yeah. I feel like when we become more aware of gender identity and as you've mentioned how it it doesn't need to mean one thing it doesn't need to be binary how it's really more of a like a societal restriction that i feel like we use it because it helps us predict it helps us predict how to act in society if we see someone dressed Mm -hmm. a certain way walking towards us and we're going to meet at a door at the same time then based on how they're dressed and how they wear their hair, we know who's likely to go for the door and open it for the other person. And that lets us know how to operate in society. That was a really weird example. (laughs) No, I think you're right. I think what we're learning though, is that the system that we put in place for those predictions are really inaccurate. (laughs) So oftentimes we're like, oh, okay, make the code before the person gets to the door, Mm -hmm. right? And that's not always true. And so we're causing a lot of harm in those small mm-hmm. moments. So we need, to, we need to figure out a new lens and a new way of treating each other in those quick mm-hmm. moments. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Do you feel like we have addressed kind of those foundational terms? Or do we want to dig any deeper? Because I love digging deeper. But 
I think we're at a good like initial foundation, right? And we'll then we'll hop into maybe some statistics and research and then we'll we'll dive deeper into some of that. Ooh, yes, let's go. I love some data. So hit me with it. I'm ready. Okay, great. Um so yeah, so Wes and I were thinking about how does this really relate to healthcare and the medical field, you know? So I was doing some research and I found a pretty recent survey from the Center of American Progress. And I trust it because Stacey Abrams is one of the board directors. <laughs> so they did this survey that really, I feel like, has the statistics that show how stark access is not available for trans non-binary and gender diverse people. I'm going to read you a couple of them, okay? So this is me included. One out of every three transgender patients have to teach their doctor about trans care. (laughs) I'm laughing, but it's not funny. 15% of LGBTQIA Americans report postponing or avoiding totally medical treatment due to discrimination. This is 30% of trans individuals. So 30% of trans patients are either postponing or avoiding the treatment that they need because of discrimination. Okay, last last big one. Around three in 10 LGBTQIA Americans face difficulties in the last year assessing necessary medical care due to cost issues, which means that our insurance companies are actually gatekeeping us out of the care we need to save our lives. I know that was heavy, those are, those are some intense statistics. And I want to I wanna tell you a more light anecdote. I, I also kind of want to give a content warning. This is me going into the doctor and not having a successful <laughs> appointment. But I feel okay. And so I'm coming with a sense of humor. So I invite you to come with a sense of humor too, if, if you are able. But if you are a gender diverse person who the doctor is very triggering, maybe you want to take that in before I share my story. So I was teaching pre-K, right? And I was on a certain insurance and then I started teaching in public school. So I switched insurance and it just so happened like right around that I switched insurance. I also ran out of testosterone and I needed a new prescription. I want to say think something about testosterone, which is that <laughs> it is, it's a hormone. So it is a very powerful thing in your body, right? And so if you don't have it, it can really have powerful effects on your body. So it was quite an urgent thing for me. So I went into the doctor. I I tell her, I said, I'm here for you to give me testosterone. And her response was, you know, I realized that like maybe it's hard to be a man now and what masculinity is telling you, but you're a healthy young 30 year old man. Like you don't need to be on testosterone. And I think what she was implying was that like, I was trying to hulk out you know? And I was like, you don't understand. It's not, <laughs> it's not for that. I I need it. I need it to be who I am. And then she was like, uh, well, I'm looking, I'm looking at your chart and I see before I can give you that, like you haven't had like a prostate check in a long time. And I was like, um, <laughs> ma'am, that's like not applicable to me, you know? And then she was like, wait, what? And I was like, I'm a trans man. I need testosterone to be who I am. I don't have a prostate. I was trying to be as explicit as possible. And that was so flustering to her that just like a bunch of garbage just came out where she was like, okay, um, do you need, do you need a mammogram? 
Like that was the next thing that came up. And I was like, nope, don't need one of those either. <laughs> don't have that. And so it was kind of funny because my wife was in like her second year of medical school and she was taking notes and giggling in the corner. She was there to be my emotional support. So I had to tell her, I said, you know what? I can tell that this is not really working. And do you think that there's anyone that I could talk to that will help me get my prescription and and be able to support me? She said, I think that's a good idea. But the whole point of this story was that she was like, do you have a prostate? Do you have do you have breasts? Do you, are you on estrogen? Are you on testosterone? Like she just was so flustered and it was kind of funny, but the thing that wasn't funny was that I was there to get care and I had to like hold her hand to say like, it's okay, let's figure this out. That's your story is so illuminating in so, so many different ways. Yeah. Like one thing that I'm taking from her is that she didn't know how to work with an individual who wasn't cis, apparently, like she had to boomerang from one to the other. Exactly. 100%. And I think the more she was boomeranging, I mean, that's like anyone who gets thrown off of not knowing what to do in their profession. It's like, it's embarrassing. And it's, it's hard to like get your nervous system to be centered, you know? So I think what I learned from there, so you know how we were talking about the door? She came in and she saw my gender presentation and she made that door snapshot and it really derailed our entire appointment because it wasn't accurate. So I think the thing that I want listeners to take away from this is that because of moments like these, okay, I'm going to try to get really real here. I have done a lot of work in therapy and in my own self-education to like preserve myself and so that I do, I can find like a sense of humor around it. Also, I have medically transitioned. And so my gender dysphoria is in check so that I can feel okay in my shoes. Not everyone is sitting with that same experience. And that exact same moment can really be disturbing to other patients. And so what I want listeners to hear is that if you do not have inclusive practices in place, you are actively denying somebody care because they're not going to want to show up. And if they don't show up, then they don't get the care they need. And if they don't get the care they need, then they get sick. Is there anything else I want to say about that? I do. <laughs> I, I think that I tend towards wanting to, to look to the future of progress rather than pick apart the places that are harmful. I'm like, what can we do now? That's part of my personality. So there are there are hopeful statistics too that I want to read. So this comes from GLAD, which is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. They're a great institute. I want everyone to check them out. So these are some some stats from them. When trans folks receive gender affirming treatments that they need, suicide rates drop from as high to 29% to as low as 0.8. So that means that when you do have the inclusive practices in place, for example, like asking someone's pronoun, right? Or like asking them about their body before you make that, that door judgment. You're, you're saving lives, saving lives because the suicide rate goes down. 78% of trans people have improved psychological functioning after receiving gender affirming treatment. Those are the two ones I wanted to share. Oh, this is when I let Wes talk more about what inclusive practices actually look like. Cause I know I'm saying, like we need to get those practices in place so that we don't cause harm, but we need to know what they actually 
are. So I think Wes is going to talk about some like really concrete first steps that you can take to prevent harm and also to make your place a welcoming place for all people, people of all genders to thrive. Wes, do you want to tell them about what inclusion actually looks like? Yeah, yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that story. I feel like that is such a good example of like first impressions and the impact that just the setup of a first impression and the language that someone uses has on us as patients, right? So when you think about like intake forms and badges, work badges, email signatures, websites, those might be the first impression that someone has of you or of the place that they're going to be receiving care. And Finn and I always talk about how signaling to LGBTQ people that you know that we exist and that you respect us is really, really huge from the get-go. By doing things like sharing your pronouns, whether it's on your badge or you're saying it out loud or preferably both, and not assuming other people's gender and pronouns, and instead asking people what name and what words they'd like you to use are huge first steps. And the one of the important things here is that we get into this practice with everyone and not just with people who we're looking at and thinking that they might be trans or non-binary. Because like we've talked about before, the reality is that you often cannot look at someone and know that they're trans or non-binary or cis. Like take, for example, Finn's story, right? The doctor walked in, saw Finn and assumed that he was a cis man. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to say like, there's a really good chance that your patients and their caregivers are already in a very vulnerable position entering into their first session with you, regardless of mm-hmm. their gender. And this is a time where we're building rapport, right? And it's clear that the rapport and the trust that we have with our clients impacts therapeutic outcomes. So keeping that in mind, it's important that we're not assuming people's identities and not assuming the words that affirm them and not assuming their family makeup. We want to be mindful that we're going to assume wrong if we make those assumptions, and we're going to make the assumptions. And if we verbalize those assumptions, we might be doing a lot of harm. So you're not going to be able to tell everyone's gender or everyone's pronouns just by looking at them or by looking at their name and being able to make those assumptions either. It's so important that we're just, we're just being mindful, just being mindful, like, my assumptions might be wrong, so maybe I don't need to say them out loud. Maybe realizing that not every patient's partner or spouse is going to be of the like quote-unquote opposite gender. Not everyone is going to have a mom and a dad. Not everyone's kids are going to be sons or daughters, mm-hmm. and so on. So if you can find those ways to just signal your allyship and competence you're going to open up the door for your patients to access their full potential in therapy. 
as Finn shared in the stats, like trans people are very vulnerable within the medical setting. So I guess a, a story that I could share with you from my own personal experience would be, I was traveling, I threw out my back, I was in so much pain and I found this massage therapist to go to. I was in a totally different city. I didn't know anyone around and I needed, I really needed care. So I went to this uh, sports massage therapist and I got there. There was nothing in the space that signaled to me that the therapist knew that trans people existed, that my identity, that my body would be safe and respected in this space. Um, there weren't any other people around. Like it was a very small clinic. Nothing on the intake form was asking me for my pronoun. Um, not, there was no signage or anything just indicating that it was a safe space for me. And so I went through the massage and it was a really good massage. Like this, this person was very, very skilled. And during the massage, he saw the scars on my chest from my gender affirming top surgery and was asking me about them. And I didn't know how safe I was to answer honestly. By the end of the session, he told me like, you know, we got a lot done, but I could tell that you were a bit um, tense. And so I wasn't able to do as much work as we would have been able to do otherwise. And to me, that just screams this experience of like the fact that I was, I was in fight or flight. Like I didn't know if I was safe as a trans person in his space. And, um, it was really, it was really impactful for me. If I may ask a question, when you started off the story, you talked about signs in, in the space to indicate allyship. What does that, how does that manifest? What are you looking for? That's a great question. I feel like we're getting at that, that there are structures, there are structures in place so that you don't have to do snapshot thinking. You can put structures in place so that you don't have to rely on assumptions, which are often wrong. So when your intake form says name, and if there's any other thing that says like name, name that's like not on your driver's license or something like that, you know? And then if it says pronouns, instead of like circling M or F, right? If it says parents instead of mother and father, then you are putting in place where people can share with you instead of you doing the labor of guessing and being wrong. Other things are like all access gender bathrooms. You know, like you don't need to have, you don't need to have gender bathrooms anymore in 2021. So when I see all gender bathrooms, that, that feeling, and we're going to talk about that a little bit too, that, that Wes was talking about of like, am I safe? It quiets down. And so my nervous system quiets down. Anything, anything that says like all people are welcome here, you know, with like um, an inclusive pride flag, you know, at least we know that you're thinking about that. And then really a big one for me and Wes too, and it might be different for other people for, for us is if, 
if we look at a doctor with a smiling face and then they have a tag that says, I'm Dr. Smith, my pronouns are he, him, or he, them, then we're like, okay, you, you understand um, that pronouns matter. Am I missing anything that you want to add, Wes? I don't think so. I mean, I'm just thinking about when I'm going to an establishment or deciding on where to go for care. Like, yeah, it's like little symbols I'm looking for. Like, is there is there like a statement that says, right, all people belong in this space or I support Black people, people of color, transgender people, not, you know, like, listing being explicit and and saying who we are having just little pride flags any it it doesn't need to be this like grand gesture those small things like we're looking for them so we'll find them like they can be really small it tells us that um there's some level of safety in your care And that was the other point I wanted to dig into a little bit more. Um, You mentioned when your massage therapist was asking you questions, you weren't sure if you were really able to be honest with them Mm -hmm. and, and still be safe in their care. And I think that's something that a lot of people take for granted because they don't understand the reactions people can have and that you, you don't even know what reaction people may have. There may be no indication how they will feel about a topic until it's broached, and then there's no going back. And so when you're in a situation where somebody has power over you, like literally, you're there under their care, you don't want that encounter to go sideways. And so then, therefore, you don't feel safe because there's been, you don't know how they feel about something. You can't guess. You can't make assumptions. And that's frightening. And to have to experience that every day as you go through life in every situation, that that's a lot. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Do you want to share a good story or should I talk about gender dysphoria? Both. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to share a good story first? Yeah, you should share. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. I'm going to preface this. I have like a two story combo. Um, the first one is like the way I don't want it to go. And then the second one is the way that I want it to go. So, um, I was in the hospital after getting a hysterectomy and it was like the next day I was like totally out of it in a hospital bed. Um, the nurse asked me as she was caring for me, if I had boy parts or girl parts and (laughs) There was no, zero medical reason for her to need to know what what kind of genitals I had, and let alone the type of wording and language she used. It was a question that was based purely on curiosity. And this is kind of an extreme example, but it's something that, like, everyone needs to be thinking about why they're asking a patient a question. Do they really need to know that information and why? Can you answer those questions before asking? I was, you know, I was in like a totally vulnerable state and I, you know, I needed her care to recover. So it's important as medical practitioners um, to recognize that dynamic and that interaction with patients. 
so then so then here's here's a story of like the language a medical practitioner used um, going right. So this happened really recently, actually. I met with a physical therapist who asked me my pronouns and what name I wanted to be called during the intake process. And then during our first in-person meeting, she asked me if I had certain words that I'd like her to use in reference to different body parts. And that thoughtfulness around language completely set us up for success. Again, another vulnerable position to be in, working with any type of therapist, speech therapist, physical therapist, you know, you are, you are entering into such like special parts of people's lives, their body, their communication, their swallowing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I was nervous going into this physical therapy session and to have her use these very this very affirming language that let me know that um, I am safe in her space has allowed us to actually get the work done that needs to be done. Those are my stories. Yes. I love stories. You <laughs> know, uh, it's I think we wanted to share our own personal stories because we sort of wanted to like paint a picture of what it's like one little glimpse of being a trans patient. And I hope what's getting through is that gender dysphoria and anxiety around our gender can really affect, it really affects in both ways of us healing or not healing. And sometimes the healing is urgent. You know, like I, I'm not, I'm not a speech pathologist, but I imagine that the body is a very important part of, of your job. And if, if our bodies are not available for breath, or if our voices are tight, because we are so impacted by this anxiety, then we're not going to be able to make those targets. You know, so I did, I did want to talk about gender dysphoria, which is what we have been sort of talking about, and how it shows up in the medical office. So the way Wes and I define gender dysphoria is an intense and persistent discomfort with one's gender assigned at birth. And this can include body dysphoria. So the way that you feel in your body and social dysphoria and or social dysphoria, the way your gender is perceived by others. The critical element of gender dysphoria is clinically significant distress. And what we're getting at is that trans, non-binary, gender diverse patients are coming in with a cognitive load around always, always being prepared for gender dysphoria. And it can work in both ways. So it works in the way that we're, we're tightening, but it also works in the way that we were saying that we're looking for signs. I feel like it's just an evolutionary way of trying to calm your nervous system. So we're, we're both like scanning the way that we scan for threats to see if we're safe. And so when you do have those signals of allyship, then it does allow that gender dysphoria piece to quieten. And when you don't, you have to be aware that that's a piece of caring for us. You know, we can't, you can't get to the care unless you are aware, welcoming, and understanding how gender dysphoria works. And I want to give, I want to give some concrete ways to, to help that gender dysphoria quiet down. One is please use the language that's someone that your patient uses for their body. 
you know? So listen first. And if you're not sure, if they haven't offered it to you, then say, what language would you like me to use about your body? Don't say, would you like me to use breasts or chest? <laughs> Just ask them and they will, they will offer that to you. Um, another thing that can be that can be challenging for us is names and pronouns, especially if we're in process of, of changing them so that they are in alignment with our gender identity. And this is beyond the medical setting, but I find that people really have tricky parts with the past. So when someone offers their pronoun to you, my pronouns are he, him, that should be true for all the times. So when you're asking them about their body or about their speech experience in the past, you should be using the pronoun that they gave you. And the way I can help folks sort of visualize that is that we've always been this self. It's been obscured by expectations of our society, but we've always been here. So that pronoun has always been true for us. So you can weave it through the past. I think those are the two things that I really want practitioners to hear is like use the language that people use for their body and use the pronoun that they use. Now, I know I said that 29%, up to 29% of the suicide rate will go down in the medical setting, but we also have an educational setting, half. If, if one educator, one grown-up uses a child's pronoun, then that trans non-binary or gender diverse students, suicide rate will go down by half. So I hope that I'm hitting the point that it's, it's not a luxury to, to skip around. It's not, it's not an extra. It's vital for your practices and your care. I think that's all I wanted to say about gender dysphoria. That was really good. That was super. Yeah. That's, I think that you highlighted that fact really well and brought it home that exactly as you put it, it's not a luxury. This is recognizing somebody's humanity. And when you deny it, those are the results that we're left with. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for hearing us is that when you deny someone's humanity, it can be fatal. That is. Okay, wait a second. You know how I'm like, I like, like to look to the future. So the opposite of gender dysphoria is gender euphoria, right? So when you affirm someone's gender, you're giving Wes and I that feeling that we can walk in the world as we are. And that is so liberatory. So you also have in your responsibility to give somebody the freedom to be who they are, which makes room for gender dysphoria to lessen and lessen as they go through their life. So hold that too. Yes, you have the responsibility to take care of them and it, it can be urgent and sometimes dangerous. And also you have the responsibility to free them. And I think um, when we are welcoming our patients or our clients into our therapy room, because you know I practice outpatient. So like I have a cute little office, people come in, they see me, we work together, then they depart. There's very simple things that I can do to create a space where people know that they are welcome and they feel safe and that we can do what we came there to do and we can get to work. So I really appreciate you guys outlining those specific things that we can put into practice that cost us nothing but benefit everybody. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being willing to listen. It's making the world better. And, and I would be really curious to follow up if you do put things in place, how, how, what you notice happens in your sessions. 
Yes. That, ooh, yes. Ooh. One month, like, like, yeah. I want to say redo, but it's not a redo. One month cycle back. Help me out. I need a word. One month yeah. check in. Reflection. One month check in. <laughs> one month check in. Well, yeah, yes, do a one month check in. <laughs> I love it. We, we family always hear stories from people that we have worked with in our workshops who come back to us and tell us, you know, the day after your training, like I, I shared my pronouns with my clients for the first time and asked them what theirs are. And what do you know? Some of them are telling them other pronouns than what they've been assuming. And finally, their clients felt safe enough to share that with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really important to recognize is that, yeah, when you, when you carry that weight, you're not necessarily going to put yourself out there with every encounter when you don't know what is going to come back at you. So it cannot be on the onus of the person who's constantly in protection mode to put themselves out there all the time. That's wild. So... We really need to, yes, <laughs> to share that. I'm giving you, I'm giving you ups. That's exactly, exactly <laughs> it. This is yeah. so good. Thanks for having this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for hosting us. Yeah. All right. Now, did we cover I think- the portions? I think you have more. Wes, did you want to say some more before we tell them the the cores of what we want them to put in their pocket? I don't think so. I feel like this covered a lot, most of everything that we were thinking about talking about. Only most, not all? Okay, so let's... What are you holding back? Are you holding back? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we're holding back because one of the things that Wes and I are in conversation a lot about is what do you need to begin? Because this work is ever-evolving and ever-deepening. You have to deepen your practice. So what opens the door? And I feel like what we get, we gave you and your listeners is mm-hmm. to open the door. And any more, you need, you need to walk through first. Yes. Okay. I understand that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. eating, just, just feeding off of that, Leanne, I know that in some of your previous episodes, there's been a theme of um, leaning into discomfort or like becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. That is something that we, Finn and I really value within our work at QN is connection over comfort. Mm. And so Mm. that can be a nice thing to be walking away with today too, is remembering that it is okay to lean into this and, and not be feeling comfortable to actually feel uncomfortable with new words and terms and ways of introducing yourself and asking different questions to your patients, but that the connection that you're going to gain from that is really worth it and saves lives. Yeah, I think that is it. Using using gender affirming practices and language saves lives. Um, discomfort is part of that process. And you hold the responsibility. You hold that responsibility. Right? Are those the things we want people to take? That's exactly it. Yeah. Oh, and do some investigating about your identity. (laughs) (laughs) So does that mean just like sit and ponder or like, I'm also very, I'm oddly very structured. Like I 
rebel against it. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, guide me to get started because then I want to go off-roading. But like if someone wanted to dig into that and really reflect on it, like what would be a prompt or what would get them started? Um, yeah. So have you seen those like memes? One, one of the myths, one of the microaggressions or aggressions around being queer or gender diverse is how do you know you're trans? You know, like how do you make that choice? Um, and so I like to throw that question back at cisgender people. Like, how do you know you're cis? I love that. I feel like you can start there. And often people are like, uh, you know, and it's a little bit like, um, like they feel stunned. And so we begin with a memory. Can you anchor yourself in a memory of gender euphoria? What were you wearing? Who was there with you? How did that presentation make you feel your most gendered self? You know, and for some people, it's them in the middle of a soccer game with that embodiment, you know, and for some people, it's a beautiful fragrance that they put on before they went on a date, you know, and I feel like starting, starting with gender euphoria and asking the question, like, how do I know how my gender lives in my body? Those are good places to begin. Ooh, I'm excited. Like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I have some time after this conversation. So <laughs> I think this will be cool. fun. But then again, I tend to be a curious person and, when I'm balanced, I do like to lean into uncomfortable things. So I recognize not everybody might be in that space right now, but hopefully they can come back to it and and sit and think on that for a while. So thank you for giving us some some guiding ways to get there. My pleasure. Okay. So if people have walked through the door and they're ready for more information, how can they um, reach out and learn more and become more engaged? How can they find y'all? Yeah. So you can find us at qinclusion.com. You can also email us at hello at qinclusion.com. And you can find me, this is Wes, on Instagram at lavenderspeech. And Finn also has an Instagram. He can share that with you. Yep, I'm at teach underscore Finn. And spell Finn, please. Oh, yeah, good. It's F-I-N-N. Okay, All right. Um, and are y'all like active on Instagram? Is that like a great place to um, catch up and see what... Do you talk about like the the presentations that you do? Like um, you've, you mentioned in our talk that you kind of do like group events, but also do you, you do... Well, I'm, I think... Of course, they're group events, Leanne. That was very nonspecific. I'm thinking more like at a at a like company or like a specific place where there are like already people there. Like, do you do like open types of education where like anyone can like pop in and join, um, or is it really just like a consultative basis? Um, yeah, so we're working on developing some some like webinars per se where anyone would be able to register and hop on. Um, we also work with already established organizations and we definitely share information and resources on our Instagram. Okay. Yeah. So if you're looking for tidbits, you should come to our Instagram. If you really want the sound bites, you should go to Lavender Speech. If you want the long, drawn out, poetic blog posts, then you should come over to my <laughs> Instagram profile. But we are always talking about how gender intersects with our jobs and our lives. In a few weeks, I'll be doing an Instagram live 
where people can ask questions about specifically having conversations about gender with young children. Mm. So you will get little tidbits like that from Instagram. And if you're interested in that, then you should reach out to us so we can do something for your staff or your community. Great. Thank you both so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, us too. Be in touch. Right. This is our sign off. And I, I want to thank Wes and Finn for coming on and sharing their experiences, sharing the facts and the knowledge and the evidence and how what we do matters and how we talk to people matters and um, how we address them matters. And I think for me, one of the biggest takeaways was being intentional about creating a space that is welcoming and sends signals that people who identify as queer or on the gender spectrum will feel welcome and seen. And so that was a big takeaway for me and I really appreciated that. So without further ado, we're gonna wrap up here. So thanks for listening, everybody. If you feel so led, please leave a thoughtful review on Apple iTunes that lets other SLPs know that this is a good source of information for enriching their practice and our field. Stay tuned for another wonderful episode next week. So keep it up, everyone. Stay awesome. Get out there and nourish and flourish. Bye.